You're listening to Simmering Thoughts, where we lift the lid and sample slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. That's right. This is Simmering Thoughts. My name is Ryan Akers. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, and you're listening to our very first episode. I am a school teacher. I teach elementary music and technology in southern Indiana and am also a member and a deacon at my uh, local Baptist church, uh, Heritage Hills Baptist Church here in, that's right, Santa Claus, Indiana. It really does exist, and we have Santa Clauses all over town uh, with me today and hopefully every day as we uh, record this podcast is Chris Dean. Hello world, yes, my name is Chris Dean and I'm a pastor and church planner in Indianapolis. My church is Great Mercy Church. We've been around for a couple of years and I am married to my wife, Amy. I have seven kids and like I said, I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. All right. Uh, as we got started and as I, I've been thinking about this podcast for about a year now and different ways that I wanted to do something with calming down the discussions that happen online and throughout the uh, electronic world through podcasts and Twitter and Facebook and taking things and slowing down, thinking about it a little bit and putting uh, a, a little bit more depth of thought together before speaking. Uh, and that's where we came up with the title Simmering Thoughts. We're, we're going to slow cook what we're doing. We're not going to take the hottest topics. We're not going to be on the front edge of what everybody's talking about, but we're still going to cover important things, things that are important to the Christian walk and to how we understand theology and how those things mix together. Uh, and so what we're going to do with our first episode is do something that is slightly ironic for a podcast. We're actually going to discuss when it is that a Christian ought to keep their mouths closed. That's right, when we should not talk. Uh, a brother of mine at, uh, at church a few Sundays back taught this on a Sunday evening, uh, and so we're going to start from his notes. We've done some notes on our own since then and talked about it a little bit, and we're going to discuss why it is that as Christians we probably shouldn't talk as much as we sometimes do. And so we, I've, I've taken the things that he had and, and kind of broken them down into four different categories and uh, we're going to start tonight with talking about when we should have a patient tongue, because a lot of this really does boil down to being patient with what we're doing. Uh, some of the things that, that pop into my mind as far as scripture goes uh, with that one is really the one that, that I'm kind of anchoring my thoughts on uh, a lot for this podcast as a whole is James 119, where we're to be slow to speak and slow to anger. And I think the slow to speak part is a, is a really big part of that. Uh, Chris, do you want to toss in anything that's on your mind on the, the patient tongue to start with? Well, we know in many places in Scripture it says that uh, a fool has rash words, many words. Where there are many words, there is much transgression. So generally when we are to speak, we are to not fly off the cuff, but to consider our words and make them measured lest we say something that we would later regret. And I know I tend to do that 
a lot, regrettably. I'm not the man I want to be. Uh, ask my wife. We can say things in, in haste that we have to later repent of. And if we simply give things time and consider things and bring the sense of the Lord and the, the Spirit's truth to bear in a matter, we can oftentimes save ourselves a lot of heartache from having to repent and make amends from things that we especially said that we can do rashly. After all, elsewhere in James, it says that the tongue is like a fire setting you know, the whole of ourselves and others ablaze. And so it's really prudent for us to, to be judicious in how we say our words and to be precise in how we say our words, lest we miscommunicate either deliberately in, in anger or unintentionally because we were rash or hasty. Absolutely. One of the, the scriptures that I wrote down uh, that, that dovetails great with that, the one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Uh, and that's Proverbs 13, 3. Uh, and so that, that idea of, of guarding our mouths, I think, is really important. Something that uh, I've, I've watched, especially with, uh, you know, as everybody who's listening to this in the next week, uh, we're still going to be dealing with floodwaters in Houston. And we're in the midst of a great tragedy. And uh, I'm... You know, you can't go online anywhere or look on TV without people pointing fingers all over the place for who should be doing a better job or who should have done a better job while there are the waters are still in houses. And I think a lot of times we, we want to rush getting into and closing up a situation rather than allowing time to season a situation. Uh, and one of the things that, that my good friend Mike uh, brought that night was that that we have to make sure that we verify our stories and that, that when we lack facts or if we only have one side of a story, we should hold our tongue. Uh, and he brought up uh, Deuteronomy 17.6, which uh, deals with how a judge should handle uh, a trial, basically, or to handle hearing evidence. And he says uh, that no one is to be executed on the testimony of a single witness. And so if we only have one witness, if we only have a little bit of the story, or as it says in Proverbs 18, 17, that when we hear the first story, it sounds great and it sounds true, but then we hear the other story and that gives a different picture to what's going on. So we have to verify the stories. We have to get the facts right uh, before we jump in. And it is so hard to do in the modern technology culture with Twitter, with Facebook, you know, you get it, you see a story that's posted by somebody and you have that instant reaction of, of angst or of excitement or of condemnation that comes to you and you just want to jump on it. And it's so hard to stop and wait for even, even half an hour to an hour. Sometimes quickly the new story comes out and the, the, the more depth comes out and uh, rather than going off, you know, it's, it's. As we were talking about slow cooking our thoughts for the podcast. You know, we don't want to use microwave thinking when we're dealing with things that are of eternal significance. Microwave thinking is what gets us in trouble. I find myself, when I'm doing that quick thinking, that's when I end up losing track and getting myself into sin so much faster. 
you use the example of the flooding that's going on in Houston right now. And somewhere on Twitter today, I saw a tweet from somebody that really hit this point home. It's easy in the moment when somebody is suffering or has been hurt by this to say, well, you know, God works all things together for good. And while theologically that is accurate and correct, it's not the most helpful thing to say in the moment. We need to weep when one weeps and and bear one another's burdens and to just give it time sometimes for the shock of the the, the nature of the, this groaning world or sin that has been inflicted upon others to settle in so somebody can process that. And quick and hasty words of either rebuke or to of instruction oftentimes cannot be well received because we're finite. We're we're not able to process that at the same rate as others can, or especially if we're in a traumatic situation like that. And so I thought that was really appropriate to not, following up what you said, not cast blame or aspersions, but get in the moment and give people help where they are in their, in their raw, broken, victim state right now. And the time for analysis will come, and maybe sooner than later, but it will definitely come. But for now, let the people come to their senses. Let the people realize what's going on and get rid of the, the shock and awe of the situation so that they can know how to respond to things in appropriately and truth. Yeah, I, something that I've learned over the years is when your ears are buzzing with pain, it's really hard to listen. And I think about sometimes the kids I deal Absolutely. with on the playground, uh, you know, a, a first grader today, I had a first grader that cut his knee and he's bleeding down his leg and he's more worried about the pain in his knee than he is the blood. And he's, you know, sitting there trying to trying to hobble along rather than stopping and waiting for somebody to come and, and getting help to come to him. And then when I get there, the first thing I don't need to do is necessarily take care of the, the wound itself. I need to stop the blood from getting anywhere else, contain it, and then make sure he's able to be, you know, find out what the whole story is. And then while I'm doing that, that allows me to fully assess what the situation is. I've had so many times where an injury looked like one thing, and then as I deal with it on the playground, it becomes something else, and I learn that there's more to it. If I, you know, I could just say, you know, you probably shouldn't be running on the blacktop that hard. You'll trip and hurt your knee. But the fact of the matter was, he wasn't even on the blacktop. He just hit something as he was walking past a bench. And so what I first thought of when I saw skinned up knee was totally not the right idea. And it's interesting how often that, that same, those little things that we have with kids often parallel what happens in adult world. Uh, and you, your point there is something that I think that transits wealth in the next category. Uh, having that patient tongue is often a matter of having tact and, and just being a tactful person who uh, isn't interested in always saying exactly the perfect word, but waiting for the right time to say the perfect word uh, and not necessarily trying to rush things. I think sometimes we, uh, we're in such a hurry that we don't take time to listen and we don't take time to consider whether it's our position to speak in the first place. You know, in those times, I can, diagnosing my own heart after the fact, I can see how when I do speak out of turn or am hasty or rash, 
even if it's something theologically correct, like the example I gave before, when I say it, it usually, and I might not always perceive it in the moment, but I, I can usually do so after the fact. It is rooted in my own pride. I wanted to be the one to say something that was truthful. I wanted the attention ultimately to be brought to me. I wasn't giving grace to that person. I wasn't considering them more important than myself in that moment. Rather, I was trying to draw the attention to me under the guise of being helpful to others. And so, therefore, does it really help in the first place oftentimes? You have to really question that. Absolutely. I mean, you, you think about gossip and uh, you think about things that, that when people say things to you that may be uh, offensive at first or may hurt your feelings at first, uh, things that, that uh, damage somebody's, especially with gossip, it's, it's something that can damage somebody else's character. It can damage a friendship. It can tear apart uh, entire families. Um, and, you know, if we're not careful about those things, if, if we don't protect the words we say, it causes damage down the line, sometimes in, in some cases for years, and, and especially when we're, when we're reacting to somebody else's, it's really important that, that we listen with forgiving ears. Uh, and one of the passages that I, that I had written down for that was Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. And I think that, uh, you know, again, with the, the idea of what happens in uh, Internet land, what happens in our churches a lot of times even. Somebody will say something and it'll hurt, and I could go to another person and complain about it, but that's not going to help solve the situation where I'm hurt. It's not going to make me feel any better. And it's not going to allow me to deal with the hurt that I have with the person who caused it anyway. That's why I think we have the, the, the instruction, you know, when you have something with a brother, to, to go to them and solve it quickly rather than letting it fester. Uh, and, and I think sometimes we want to, to hold on to it and go talk to somebody else about it and sort ourselves through it with, somebody, with a third party rather than addressing it directly. And when we come to it from that one-sided perspective, and it's, it's amazing how uh, there's a scripture passage, I wish I had it in front of me, you might have that, Ryan, where it says the, how gossip are like juicy words that go deep down inside of you. It's something that we love to soak in and take in. It's just a byproduct of you know, our sinful nature. But because it is oftentimes a half-truth, even when we communicate that to others, even with it's perhaps not in just you know, raw salaciousness, you know, hey, look what I know, you know, which really boils back to pride, who you are, what you've got that you can share with others. But even if you intend it well, you still have to have discernment, discretion, who you share that with, because they can share it with others, or they might make judgments on situations that are hasty and rash themselves, and that can be, in turn, spread on and on and on. And suddenly you have that snowball effect, not only in the family, but following up what you said there, that can even happen in churches. Church splits can happen that way because people have ideas of something that has happened or they heard rumors of something that is might have a kernel of truth but has been blown up out of proportion or is 
really not justifiable based upon the nature of whatever situation it is, and dramatic things happen that don't have to happen. And if the answer is just simply, if you see your brother in sin, like you said, go to them and speak to them in love. This is what the truth is, and, and go from there. Jesus put that process in place, because this goes not only beyond us or our family or our friends or the church it reaches out to the world at large and the world can look at the church and see that through their words they are oftentimes the hypocrites and so i'm sure we'll get to this somewhere in a future podcast and that but in many ways the church is oftentimes the worst example of what you know, worst enemy of Christ in this world because we are the ones that are the hypocrites based upon what we say oftentimes. Do as I say, but not as I do. <laughs> I, I think sometimes we even uh, uh, get ourselves caught up in trying to portray ourselves. We, we kind of develop almost a split personality in some ways. We want to portray ourselves as striving after holiness. And in order to strive after holiness, we want to look holy. But we forget that when you're striving after holiness, when you're heading that direction, that means you're starting in unholiness and you're working yourself toward it and uh, working and letting the spirit work in you. And I think we fail to say that a lot of times in the outside world, outside of our Christian circles to where they see that, oh, you're trying to be perfect and here you are messing up rather than saying, I'm starting from messed up and God is bringing me toward perfection that I'm not going to get to while I'm still breathing. Amen. Uh, you mentioned the, the idea of it, of gossip earlier um, being tasty. And one of the things that one of the translations I read on that, that it was a tasty morsel. And I, th you know, when you think about it, it's, it's yeah. almost like a, that, that perfectly wonderful dessert bite that you can get. You know, everybody has their own idea of what that's going to be. But that's the idea. It's this, this sweet, honey-drenched morsel that goes down so easily. Uh, there's another passage in, um, I can't remember if it's in Proverbs or if it's in one of the other wisdom books, but it talks about that, that honey is sweet when you, when you taste it, but if you take too much of it, it'll tear you up. And, and that idea of that tasty morsel of gossip, gossip it tastes good going down, but it's not going to stay that way. Uh, and and that brings up you know that uh, that brings embarrassment. There's uh, it it leads to impressions, wrong impressions. In a way, it's a it's a matter of uh, bearing false witness, carrying gossip. Uh, you're either carrying something you don't have the right to carry to somebody else, or you're carrying something that isn't the full truth to begin with. And you know when when you really get down to it, that's a that's a severe problem. Uh, inside of, of that, as you keep saying, it's a matter of coming back to pride of wanting to say mm -hmm. the right thing or not necessarily even the right thing, but just wanting to say something. And we have a hard time listening and, and just being in silence, I think, sometimes as well. I think part of the reason why gossip is so juicy is because in those moments, again, rooted in pride, we compare ourselves implicitly to the other person thinking, oh, I'm better off than they are, or, oh, I would never do that, or, oh, look at the consequences that they have to deal with that I don't have to. And it, it's really an elevation of self over others. 
which is oftentimes born out of just just sheer insanity because I know my past. I know what I'm capable of. You know, in those moments of clarity, I'm capable of doing all of those things yep. and probably have and probably very well could again. It's only by the grace of God in that moment that I'm not. And so just putting in that proper perspective, not acting out of haste in that moment, but just putting it back in the proper biblical perspective, we can truly be our brother's keeper and, you know, weep and rejoice with them and bear one another's burdens in that proper way. Yep. There's, there's two thoughts that I've, I've come to develop over the course of being a deacon over the last, uh, quite a while. Uh, one is to not speak out of ignorance. And the other is that the importance of keeping a confidence. There's a lot of things that, that, uh, our pastor passes on to the deacons that we need to know in order to, to help him with the ministry of the word and, and to work around the, the and keep the body functioning uh, that we really shouldn't be telling. And there's things that, that come to us that uh, I can't even tell my wife about it in detail or sometimes even in, in hinting around it uh, because it's something that is, that is so delicate to the situation that even even sharing it with my wife is betraying a confidence that was placed in me and learning that over time and seeing how important that is has really taught me to uh, wait and to, to think deeply before I open my mouth, especially about things that that uh, families are struggling with or uh, even individuals or just whatever the situation is. That's the essence of wisdom right there, knowing what to say or what not to say and putting it in its right moment, in its right context, so that it has the, the best ability to be received and acted upon. Mm -hmm. and, and going back to those crisis situations, sometimes you don't do it in the moment. Sometimes some things are not necessarily needing to be shared with anybody else. Uh, sometimes people are just giving an emotional catharsis in the sense that they just need to get something off their chest. It's not necessarily a gigantic, entrenched spiritual pattern that's ultimately destructive, but it's something where they might think it is, and we can talk them off the ledge and, and get them to think rationally, to think slowly and carefully and deliberately about things so that they can see where they are and what the truth is and how the spirit might be dealing with them in ways that in their you know, anxiousness, in their haste, they can't receive that. Something I've, I've picked up on over the years is in those situations, many times the best thing I can do isn't actually make a statement, but to ask a question and to have an idea of where, you know, to, to prompt the thinking to get them to a point of recognizing that theological truth, but how can I do it by helping them discover it rather than me drop it on them? Uh, sometimes, exactly. sometimes we like to be a hammer and you know we we come down on top of them rather than than help uh, carry along and shape someone. We want to pound it into them, uh, and it's yep. it's a uh, it's a difficult thing. I've been the anvil before, hammered against, and it's not fun. Uh, and and it's I, I try very hard to not be the hammer. Uh, and that leads me to the thought, it's, I just got done watching Forged in Fire with my son, uh, leads me to the thought of having a cool tongue. And I think that having that, that calmness that we were talking about a few minutes ago 
in anger, in the midst of quarrels. Uh, there's, there's one passage, Proverbs uh, 25, uh, 20, I got to check my handwriting there, sorry, 28. Uh, my fives and eights look remarkably similar sometimes. 25, 28. It is a person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. And that, that idea of, you know, when you can't control your temper, you need, that's when you need to walk away, close your mouth, and, and if that means that you have to have steam coming off your head because it's not coming out your mouth, that's a good thing. Uh, we need to, to very, be very careful about having a cool tongue uh, in the midst of all those things. If you can't say it quieter, then it might not need to be said. This isn't strictly a, a biblical aphorism per se, but it's nevertheless true. It's, it's, I've heard this and I've experienced this with my own kids. As I said, I have seven kids. They're, they're aged four through 16 now, and I have done more than my fair share of really tearing them down sometimes. And I've really had to repent about that. And it's only by the grace of God I've even recognized a lot of that. And, but the, the aphorism is true in the sense that for every whatever amount you want to say, 100 words of building up that you can give them, one word of condemnation will undo all of that. And that is so often true. And that's not to say that they can't offer forgiveness or come to see the truth, but it just makes it so much harder sometimes that those moments where we oftentimes are in the middle of something heated ourselves, our thinking isn't rational and clear. We say things that we later regret, if not even in the moment, don't even can't believe we're saying, but nevertheless, it's out there. The fire is out there and it's going to burn somebody and it takes time to heal and it takes time to apply the healing words of grace and truth to undo, in a sense, or cover over what you can say in haste. So really, really, and I'm speaking to myself here more than anybody else, slow down, give it time, let the Lord deal with the situation, because he really is in control of all those situations. I think there is a huge biblical undergirding to that, and it's it's kind of the a big-picture biblical thing in that when you think about uh, the perfection we're called to, that one sin is enough to condemn you. You could do thousands of great deeds, but that one sin is all it takes to make you unpure in the Lord's eyes until the love of Christ comes to you and you're washed in his blood. It's, you're still condemned. But in that love, you know, the, the, the passage that love uh, covers over a multitude of sins. When we think about that in context of Christ, for that. oh my goodness, you know, and and that's something that, you know, in family especially, that love can cover over that, but it it doesn't happen immediately, and especially on the human side of it, it often leaves scar tissue behind in relationships, and there's that there's there it it builds barriers up over time that are really hard to get through. Uh, I think that leads me pretty quickly to the to the fourth topic or the fourth part of of having a uh, times where we should not speak. And that's when we should have a reverent tongue. And th this is something that I didn't even it, it's not it's something I thought about that it, I'd never really dwelled on until he mentioned it. Uh, and he brings up 
Ecclesiastes 5.2, and he said that when we're tempted to make light of what is holy, and I think sometimes, especially within the church, we get, especially when we're in our, our comfortable places, we get a little bit too comfortable, and every once in a while, a, a joke will, will pop across our heads, and we'll think of something, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make a little joke about this or that or another thing in involved with the church, involved even sometimes with scripture, sometimes with the, the idea of what salvation is, and we'll joke about how it applies here and not there, or whatever the situation is. And man, that's dangerous that we would make a joke about things that are holy. And also really to make light of sin is another one that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be flippant about sin. Sin is serious. It's not something to be sitting and, and making pot shots about, really. Yeah, Paul talks about how that shouldn't even be on our lips, in essence. We shouldn't dwell upon those things that are unholy. We are only to consider those things that, uh, and, and say things to one another that build up and edify, as Paul says later. But the uh, the concept of this Hebrews, I'm sorry, my translation, I use the ESV primarily, it says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. There's a, there's a cross-reference in here in my Bible where it talks about the Pharisees, how they heap up empty words. Absolutely. And I, I think a way that we can do this and, and be guilty of this before the Lord is to not only to essentially make profane the things that are holy, but also to not treat them as holy and think that we are making up for it in our many words by doing many good deeds. It's almost a works righteousness mentality, thinking that we can earn favor with God or kudos with God by doing lots of good things, or at least doing lots of vain things, or thinking I'm going to pray more, I'm going to read the Bible more, things like that, things that inherently might be good, but really don't give God the appropriate weight and matter in his, in his word as it should be. It's something that we're using to puff ourselves up rather than to build ourselves up in the, in the right knowledge of the truth. And God doesn't like that. In fact, uh, right after Ecclesiastes 5.2, I, I just recently read this, and I kind of marveled at it again. And it says in verse 3, For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice comes with many words. We see that over and over again, how where there's many words, there's much wisdom. But listen to verse 4. When you vow about a God, and that doesn't have to be you know, a formal, I cut a covenant with you, God. This is, oh, Lord, if you, if you do this for me, I'll do this. Something simple, and I'm guilty of doing that sometimes. It says, when you vow about a God, do not delay paying it, for he is no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth not lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hand? Yes, God is a gracious and merciful God. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But our heart attitudes are sinful, and, and God will... In, in the words of Hebrew, he will discipline us. He will scourge us. He will do what it takes for our heart's disposition to be holy and blameless before him again. And that pruning can often be very painful. Mm -hmm. And so better to not do it in the first place than learn something the hard way. Even though you know learning the hard way is often a good way to learn it, 
still it's it's costly and if you can learn wisdom ahead of time without needing those virtual stripes of discipline do it learn the wisdom and and be do not be hasty in your words but be slow to speak slow to understand who you are and, and slow to evaluate yourself and, and make declarations before God because he remembers. Absolutely. I think of all the times in, in Proverbs, uh, there's so many verses at the beginnings of chapters and in the end of chapters, listen to my voice, pay attention to my wisdom. It's all over Ecclesiastes. It's, it's in the Psalms. It's in the wisdom literature. Uh, as you read in uh, Job, there are little hints of that as well, of, of learning wisdom from somebody else rather than having to self-prove all the wisdom that you've been taught, to take somebody else's word for it that they've been there. Uh, Amen. I want to look at uh, a passage in Ephesians that has uh, rearranged my mind more than once or twice on this uh, and has been something really over the last couple of years that has, keeps coming back to me as I work through situations where I do need to keep my mouth shut, as I, as I find myself typing out a tweet and then going, I don't really need to say this. I don't need to say it. I, it might not be true, or I might just be a little too emotional right now to put this down. And that's in chapter four uh, of Ephesians. And it starts in uh, verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't let give the devil an opportunity. Uh, and it goes on next uh, in verse 29. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And as you think about and go through in your mind all of the verbs that are in there about how we should, uh, things we should let go, being bitter, angry, wrathful, shouting, slandering, malice. We should be kind and compassionate. When you go through all of those, those are, are oftentimes verbal verbs, things that we do with our mouth, not necessarily with our hands and their attitudes of the heart. And, it, you know, as we have the passage from the heart, it comes out of your mouth. And so as we as we protect that, as we go back to speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in a way that is edifying, speaking the truth in a way that builds up and gives grace to somebody else, if we can't speak gracefully then are we sharing God's grace? These verses are, are near and dear to my heart, and I actually did a word study and a sermon not too long ago on this concept of grace. What is grace, really? And there's some, a little bit of confusion regarding it. There's, a, there's mm -hmm. a few Hebrew and Greek words, but it all comes back to the root idea of it's got a salvific connection to it, and that's not necessarily only pertaining to getting people saved, or bringing people to Christ, but then also following from that growing in Christ-likeness. And so we know elsewhere Paul talks about all that we do, we should do for the glory of God. And so giving one of the, the primary ways that God gets glory 
is by his people coming and recognizing who he is by agreeing with him and and acting and saying you know what god says to do and what god commands us to do and so when we speak to one another we are to as my translation says do only such as good for building up as fits the occasion whatever's appropriate in this circumstance the way people can receive it the best based upon their situation their personality whatever it is their state of sanctification can do it appropriately that it may give grace to those who hear mm-hmm. if you're saying something that is not intended to be for the glory of God in the receiving hearts of the people who receive this so that they will either know how and be encouraged to come to Christ and put off unrighteous ways and start doing righteous ways or to further grow in Christ likeness then it's not worth saying if you don't build them up if you don't push them and spur them on to greater Christ likeness then it's not the right thing to say and this it takes a lifetime of wisdom to know how and when to say that in every circumstance but that's what the whole Bible is for. Retain the pattern of sound words so that we know how to rightly divide and then rightly, like the, like the surgeon's scalpel, take the word and divide the thoughts and intentions of the heart and the, the joints and marrow and determine how to apply it to somebody so that they can best receive it to best and most become like Jesus Christ. Anything less than that is is really a sin. And so we should... Speak slowly, speak deliberately, speak truthfully, using the pattern of words that God has given us with this specific intention that these people are going to be more like Christ so that he will get the glory from it. Yep. I think a, uh, a practical thing, it's not something that we've mentioned yet, and I think it's really important to this as we finish up, is to speak first in prayer and second with your mouth, uh, especially when the tensions get high. It's to take that opportunity to step back and, and to be in a prayerful mindset. Not always, we don't always have the opportunity to stop and say a five-minute prayer, but to be in that prayerful mindset, this Holy Spirit, guide my thoughts and guide my mouth, put words in me to speak grace in this situation. And you know, it's not something that, that often uh, pops into our mind when our, when our emotion gets up, you know, the adrenaline pumps. And it's hard to stop that, to take steps back and to enter into prayer. Uh, you know, I, I've served as moderator at, at our business meetings, and everybody knows business meetings from time to time get a little tense. And <laughs> I've had to step away from the microphone, go into a time of personal prayer, and then step back into the situation and, and, and guide the, the ship through. Because other, if I don't do that, I get wrapped up in the emotions and I get wrapped up in the adrenaline and then I as as the person working the meeting and 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 trying to mediate really sometimes as the moderator uh I don't do a very good job of it when I'm not in that prayerful mindset. Oh, then I would do that oftentimes when I'm in the middle of responding to something that my kids did or <laughs> some hubbub I hear elsewhere in the house or that's when like I, that, so. that's when I struggle with sometimes is with my own child <laughs> in, in, and really even in the classroom this is something that I have to do I know we're not allowed to pray out loud in the classroom but there is nothing legally that says I can't sit there and be praying in my mind 
all through the day. I have students yeah. that I see that uh, it breaks my heart to know the backgrounds that they're coming into the school building from. And, uh, you know, I see them in the hallway. I can pray for them. In the middle of class, sometimes I have to stop myself because the same kid, okay, that's five times in a row you've been interrupting me. I have to walk backwards and find a better way to approach it. And through prayer is often what refreshes my mind and allows me to think more clearly and let this, the Holy Spirit really guide me how I can minister mm -hmm. to that kid's spirit at that moment. It's funny how we are given the commands all over Scripture to be slow to speak, but yet we are to pray without ceasing. Yes. All the time. Yes. It doesn't have to be allowed necessarily, but just praying, we just know in that moment, unless it's the most selfish prayer possible, I suppose, but prayer fr just automatically frames us in the eternal context. Okay, I'm talking with God. He's hearing me. He's bigger than me. I need to guard myself here. I need to open myself. I need to receive from God here. It puts a just a, a check, a break in that moment. And if I did that aloud more often in the moments, as I used as the example with my family, it would be a blessing not only to me to cool me down potentially or to others. If I hear some fighting, arguing going on with my kids or something like that, they might realize, oh, yeah, I'm not just myself here. There are others around me. There's God that I'm going to have to answer to in a sense for this. And so it has an amazing tranquilizing effect when when done properly when mm -hmm. realizing that god is a holy god and our words should be few absolutely well with that let's let our words be few right there do want to thank everybody for listening to simmering thoughts uh we hopefully will be back next week we're going to try to pull this off weekly uh as schedules allow uh i'm also coaching youth soccer as well as being a school teacher and and doing the work at church uh, and Chris is busy doing uh, pastoral things and church planning things, and we all know how busy that is. So we're going to attempt to pull this off as a weekly conversation, uh, and hopefully we'll have another episode coming out shortly. We've already been talking about some potential guests and uh, talking to those guests to see if they're available and, and try to get those things lined up. So we're looking forward to uh, several episodes here in the next little bit. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to turn into those. We hope you have enjoyed this and that it will be a blessing to you. Uh, as we sign off, we just want to remind you to take the time to sit down and to think and to let your thoughts simmer. It allows you to deepen the flavors of your thoughts. And it's not just that shallow microwave thinking, but it's real thought. Uh, and be thinking through Scripture where Paul tells us to think on the things that are good and true and right and noble and most of you listening know the rest of that verse without me saying it uh, and so i'm going to allow your memories to take it from there and with that we want to wish you all a great week and we want to wish god's blessings upon you god bless everyone goodbye want to let you know how to get a hold of us on social media you can find me at bandman acres chris at dean chris and the podcast at Simmer Thoughts. We also have uh, Simmer Thought, Simmering Thoughts on Facebook. And hopefully soon we will have a webpage that you can make it to uh, that will get you more information about the podcast and about us. We look forward to having you join us on our next episode coming soon to a podcast catcher near you.